I want everyone to look onto the viaduct. So we're on 160 meters of the viaduct today, but it goes on to 330 meters in total. So I really want everyone to imagine what this place could become. This being the pilot year, we really want to hear from you. And honestly, it is totally up to what people want and what they want to see here. How do you feel when you're up here? Calm, very calm. Yeah, yeah it is really calm, even with the noise of the trams. And uh, the city even feels quite calm. Those are the voices of some of the first people to visit the Castlefield Viaduct, which has been done up by the National Trust after being disused for about 50 years. I was on the first tour as members of the public, had a look around, appreciated the plants, and got to use an area of Manchester that's been out of use for such a long time. This is the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Hello, I'm Daryl Morris with the editor of The Mill, Yoshi Herman. Yoshi, hello, my friend. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thanks. Uh, very, very jealous of you that you got to go to the viaduct before I did. I'm a bit obsessed with Castlefield Viaduct. Yeah, I did. I was on the first ever tour. My sister, who was in town, got to come as well, so I smuggled her into the tour. So, yeah, it was a lovely, lovely time. Excellent. You also got to do the This is the Manchester Weekly from the Mill intro this week as well. A great privilege. It's all landed in your lap, isn't it, this week? <laughs> uh, I'm very, very keen to hear what you thought of the viaduct, actually. Really keen to hear about that. Uh, we'll get into that in a little sec. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, dogs on trams and Manchester's efforts on climate change as well this week, because there's been a bit of a development on that front. Shall we start, though, with um, a potential new development in uh, the northeast of Greater Manchester that some people are pointing to, Yoshi, as being the home of the sort of next industrial revolution? We like to do that in Manchester, don't we? Everything that we ever develop is the next industrial <laughs> revolution. But what's this? Yeah, this is Atom Valley. It's now technically becoming a mayoral development zone. So effectively, there are three sites across 1.6 million square metres. So you're talking an awful lot of new homes, but crucially an awful lot of employment space, so factory space, warehouse space, that kind of thing. Um, They think 20,000 new jobs could be generated by this enormous development. This is something I've kind of been hearing about on and off for a year or two now, which is this ambition that if Greater Manchester is going to use some of the new kind of IP and new ideas and new technologies it's creating in its universities, then it has to have areas where those things can actually be built, can be manufactured. So that's one of the the bits of thinking behind this, which is that the University of Manchester, MMU, the other universities are creating lots of new technologies when it comes to materials. And you don't just want the those materials then to be produced somewhere else. You want to try and keep the, the wealth and the jobs um, and the employment within the city region. So they're trying to create a space that factories, you know, big companies can say, I actually really need, I need an enormous factory, let's say a Tesla or a company like that. Or there's a, a company that spins out from the university and needs lots and lots of space to develop a prototype or to, or to manufacture at scale. The point of this is that you can do it at scale, whereas in most of the city region, it's quite difficult to get really big employment spaces, really big warehouse spaces. So I think that's kind of some of the thinking behind it. The mayoral development zone means that the combined authority will be quite involved in helping to get funding, putting some money in of its own, pushing things along. To policymakers, it might may sound dry to most people, but I think to policymakers here, it's quite an exciting development. Okay, and, and there's, there's a sort of interesting conversation, isn't there, about the difference between development like this and skills because okay these are being built in a part of greater manchester is very exciting but how many people from that part of greater manchester have the skills to be able to do these jobs and i suppose that requires people to come in from elsewhere at first at least i suppose it does I and mean, we're sitting in media city 
which is the last example. the last major sort of economic regeneration scheme in, in Greater Manchester, absolutely enormous. And obviously a lot of the people who came to work here to take the jobs in, in media were people who are coming from London. And I think that caused some concern, but it's also, you know, been a, a benefit to, to Manchester in many ways as well. So yes, there's that concern about any development like this, but I think one economist we spoke to this week from MMU, Christian Spence, he basically said, look, you've just got to get on with these things and the skills will follow. You have to get the economic regeneration. You have to get the companies deciding to be here, the organisations deciding to headquarter in this sort of zone, and then you the, the jobs will follow. On the other hand, Andy Burnham and his team are making a big effort to have more um, development of skills, more employment skills developed in Greater Manchester. So it's not like we're not kind of trying to to do stuff on that front as a as a city region. So I think there's always that concern, but um, I think there's a um, there's a feeling that you know if you can if you can create a space where companies can really manufacture at scale that a lot of good things will follow from that excellent very good media city is a great example isn't it of the sort of you know build it and they will come kind of thing right yeah. yes you've got to have a lot of people come from elsewhere at first but then ultimately the the, the, the presence of the industry in that area you know that sort of rising tide raising all ships in the area kind of thing exactly and i think there's a wide recognition that the north of greater manchester on the whole but not across the board but on the whole has lower paying jobs it has um, people with less qualifications um it has some really deep-seated economic problems that you get less in the in the south of greater manchester so there's been a bit of a focus there was a document called places for everyone last year and that really outlined the economic problems that exist in the north of Greater Manchester. So part of the thinking here is this zone, which has got a bit of Bury in it, it's got a bit of Rochdale, it's got a bit of Oldham, that this zone will create higher paying jobs. So the kind of manufacturing jobs you might find in Germany that are higher paid, um, that are more skilled, and that will allow people to, to live more fulfilled lives. All right, good stuff. Um, let's uh, speaking of uh, developments, Yoshi. Let's head to the viaduct, shall we? Castlefield Viaduct, which finally has a purpose. It's sat there for decades, not quite rotting, but certainly sort of just just existing on the skyline. And uh, you were one of the first people, Yoshi, to go along to the new development. Yeah, I was with the first uh, members of the public, so the first group of, of, of members of the public. We got there at eleven a.m. on Saturday morning. And we were in a little group, maybe 12 of us, and we were shown around. And I was there with my sister, who's like very into plants and like got me into, into plants and stuff. So she was kind of taking a close interest in it. And it was cool. You could actually see what it looked like before they spent a million pounds on this pilot. At the moment, it's a pilot. The National Trust wants to turn this into a, a long-term garden that can be used by the members of the public. But at the moment, it's a pilot. And they've spent, you know, the past, the, uh, basically this year so far doing it up. They haven't done all of it. You can see what it was like before that. Just lots of kind of wild sort of shrubs and plants growing out of a sort of gravelly soil where the track used to be. You can see that because they've left some of it still wild. But then the bits that they've developed are really beautiful. I mean, you've got um, essentially big, big planters on both sides with loads and loads and loads of species of plants growing. And people seem to really like it. One woman said, you know, I, I, you know, I found it really peaceful. I think we can listen to that in a sec. It's a little new area in Manchester that just feels very different. Why don't we listen to uh, the tape of me speaking to the couple of people up there? Hello. Hi. 
you just briefly tell me what you've oh, made? First there? reactions. Um, beautiful, beautiful flowers. Absolutely overwhelmingly pretty. It's just, it's just a breath of fresh air yeah. walking through something so pretty in what isn't always the prettiest of places, Manchester. So it's yeah. lovely. Yeah. Um, are you allowed to say that? Are you from Manchester? Uh, I am from Manchester, uh, so, so I'm allowed to say, to say that. Well, we don't have open spaces, do we? I know we've got Mayfield um, Park coming soon, but that's it really. Yeah. In terms of open spaces, we're really limited, so it's really great to see yeah. something that's pretty as this. Yeah. So. How do you feel when you're up here? Um, it feels really peaceful, doesn't it? You don't notice the trains and the traffic going past. So, yeah, yeah I think the attention to detail just means you're just taken away from it all, aren't you? Just, yeah. You don't notice that. How, on earth, how on earth did you secure a ticket on the first um, So we booked tickets previously when okay. it, and it was paused, so we were able to book again. We got the priority booking. Uh, nice. um, but I think we got the last two tickets, didn't we, the first time round. I think it was just the last ones. And then this time we had a priority booking. We didn't realise we were the first people on those. So yeah. that was quite nice. Which section did you most enjoy? Oh, just with the flowers, just flowers. beautiful. Just seeing all the bumblebees and everything. It was just fab, you know, that's yeah. lovely, really nice. Good. Now, clearly this is a pilot and they are asking for feedback. They're saying, you know, how could we make this better? How could we make improvements to this? I think one obvious improvement is that at the moment, I think it feels a little bit sort of not organic enough, a little bit too laid out, a little bit too planned. You've got this very wide walkway down the middle and then you've got these sort of flowers on both sides and it's almost like you're kind of peering into the flowers but you're not a part of the garden as you're walking through. It doesn't feel particularly organic. I, I, I think it could really benefit from having like a a path with a you know that, that kind of winds through the flowers a bit more or that has a little bit you know the, the planting has a little bit more texture to it that's kind of one aesthetic thing i felt up there i felt like there was a bit too much path and not quite enough you know plant, plant. <laughs> and, and maybe that's because the, the plants are quite new and stuff but i think it doesn't quite feel organic enough to me at the moment the other thing is they're doing these very small groups i think it's 100 tickets a day at the moment so when you go on the ticket website and you can go on there every thursday and try and get the latest you know tranche of tickets it's all booked up for the whole of august at the moment so clearly they're going to have to increase the access to it and maybe they're just doing this for the the trial period i think that's certainly what they're saying at the moment but i think to feel like a real resource like if you go to the highline new york you don't have to book you just walk up there and you walk along it it's going to have to get to that level of access i think to become a real like public asset i think it's a promising start and it's, it's cool use of an old old space and given how much you've been talking about it in recent months you should get up there yeah quite absolutely too right you know the great thing about horticultural places like that is that they they change right so you can you can just keep going and going and going we've got um rhs bridgewater right on our doorstep um they do a free thing on tuesday where people from salford it's only limited this i think it ends next summer uh, but people from salford can go for if, if you live in salford you've got a salford postcode uh, you can um, go for free on a tuesday so we i sort of go semi-regularly and and every time it's different the, the beauty of the fact that it grows the surroundings grow and change and develop and adapt is it sort of feels fresh every time so i think there'll be something nice about that yeah Definitely. That's a really good point, actually. I didn't really think about that when I was looking at it. It will look different in, in all, time, time go, in all times of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just there are just design things they can do with it to make it a bit more interesting. It's like if you're on like a, a lawn that's got no texture to it, it's just got some plants. If you put a couple of shrubs and trees in the middle and give it more texture, like th- I think I, I think that it f- kind of feels like it needs that to feel a bit more organic. Mm. Um, but I'm sure they can do that. Yeah, it's exciting. Good stuff. Okay, I look forward to getting in there. Um, and Yoshi! can't believe it's taken us this long to uh, to get to this, but it's come home, my friend. 
Yeah. It's come home. Yeah, the football was good, wasn't it? Can you believe it? Yeah, uh, yeah massive week in, uh, in football. And the Lionesses, of course, roar, roaring to... You don't have to do the roaring pun. Uh, roaring to success at Wembley in the Euros, finally. Uh, final, uh, final, finally. And a big Manchester contingent, Yoshi, very heavily represented in the England team. Yeah, so the cool thing for me watching it was that before the tournament, someone had mentioned that Ella Toon, like a Man United player, who's actually from Wigan originally, said she's like a real player to watch. And then she scored that like amazing goal in the final, you know, like sprinting away, chipping the German keeper. So that was very cool because she's very young. I think she's in her early 20s. So there was a kind of Manchester connection there. And then the other goal scorer was a Man City player. She, she's called Kelly, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Kelly, uh, Chloe Kelly. Chloe, Chloe yeah. Kelly. So, Which, to be fair, is two first names, isn't it? There's it, two female first names. It is. I can understand how that's a difficult one. <laughs> <laughs> got, got it the wrong way around. But she, um, she's from London, but she plays for City. And it actually kind of prompted me to think about why Manchester hasn't sort of become a powerhouse of women's football in the way that London has. Because... Traditionally, I think it was Arsenal who who kind of came out of the gates far, f- first with, with women's football. I seem to remember Birmingham City were quite good as well, like 10 years ago. And then Chelsea have become really good at it. Man City have recently become decent at it. But Man United had a really slow start in this. They actually stopped doing women's football professionally and said it wasn't part of their core business or something in 2015, which is absolutely bizarre and looks terrible now and looking back. Then they brought back a team in 2018. And there's actually a really interesting piece by Adam Cross and, and another reporter um, in, on the Athletic website about the, the problems at Man United's women's team and how basically they, uh, they, they spent a lot of money to get a lot of good players in, but the facilities were nowhere near good enough. Like they still play at a small stadium in, in Wigan. Um, they were having them training sometimes at Carrington, but they had them in changing in portaloos rather than in like proper facilities. There were lots of kind of problems with like the accommodation they were offering them in, in town. And I think... You know, United has a lot of work to do to show that it's actually serious about women's football. And I think it's kind of embarrassing now for United, which is supposed to be the biggest football club in the world, to have these kind of problems existing with its with its women's team. So I, I really recommend that athletic piece. Molly Simpson's going to write a nice piece about um, women's football for this coming weekend for the Mill. So that'd be good. Brilliant. But one thing I did think about was I was trying to watch some football with my sister this weekend and we, and we tried to book for... Um, for Wigan against, who, who are they playing? Preston, I think. And it's like, you couldn't book on the day if you weren't a registered fan. Why? Because the police won't let you, right? Because they fear, they fear like cr- mm. crowd trouble. It's a whatever. big derby, that, isn't it? It's, it's a big derby. And then, yeah. and then videos emerge of all these blokes being, you know, just like really aggressive outside the ground and screaming at security and stuff. And I just think one of the big advantages of women's football is that the, the gameplay seems to be really entertaining. Like the, the pitch is wide open, seems to be really fast. Um, they seem to play some really entertaining football, lots of goals. But the other thing is they don't have all these like aggressive, um, toxic sort of fan dynamics. You know, when you go to Old Trafford and watch United, you've always got these blokes who've just got anger problems, screaming at their own players and abusing their own team and whatever. And I, I just think women's football just has a real opportunity, A, because there are loads and loads of girls who are going to take up football as, you know, as, as youngsters, but also because it doesn't have some of these downsides that men's football has. And I, I, th- I think it could 
could have a huge next few years for that reason. It's so true. If you're going to take your family along, which you know is what what football is and always has been, it's been you know it, well it sh- should be a family event, and and you've got the option of taking them to um, an Old Trafford or Etihad or you know at Bolton, and you've got a bunch of blokes around screaming and making it a very uncomfortable and unpleasant environment. You're going to choose to go and watch the women's football. You should. Think, you should choose yeah. to go and watch. The women's I think football. increasingly. I mean, I think United needs to start having their games at Old Trafford rather than out, you know, out, yeah, out yeah. In, in, in Wigan. But it's in Wigan. Isn't in Lee, I think, actually. Mm. But, you know, I think Man City play in the Academy Stadium next to the Etihad, so that's much easier to get to. Mm. But, yeah, you're right. Like, when you go to football, it's, it's not it's not everyone, but it's one in it's one in 100 or it's one in 50 fans who are sitting around you and they're just screaming at their own players for no reason. It's not to do with... The, it's not about the football for them. It's about their anger problems and their sort of whatever's going on in their lives. But it's a bit depressing, really, because it's just like, you know... It doesn't ruin football for me, but it just always makes me think... God, there's a lot of people here who are not really here for the game, and I, I felt feel like with women's football doesn't have that baggage, and it it could it could do really well partly for that reason, partly just because like you know the football's really good and and, and it's um it's a great new thing to have in football. I also guess it's it, the conversation now is about money, isn't it? We've sort of like proven that women's football is an entertaining watch. We've proven, uh, unfortunately, there were some people who still needed that proving to them. Mm. Um, it's now about money, right? And you talk about Manchester City throwing a bit of weight behind their women's team, and and that stands to reason because they can because they're a very rich football mm. club. Manchester City can as well, and it's shameful that they didn't do that sooner. I think. Preston and Blackburn, Blackburn in particular, have a really successful women's football team. Um, but then, you know, I think about my club, Bolton, and my club don't have a, uh, an affiliated women's team. Um, they did, and then they didn't, and then they did, and now they don't again. Mm. And the, the reality for Bolton is that they simply cannot afford it. Putting together a men's team, you know, is, is squeezes them hard enough. We only just about managed to get a team on, on, on the pitch for the, for the blokes. And so there is, a, an, a, there is our women's team, but it's run by another organisation. There's a Bolton ladies, but it's run by a different organisation. And I suppose somebody on the radio this week was suggesting taking the WSL, which is the Women's Super League, and, and putting it in the hands of somebody like the Premier League, a commercial operator, where it becomes about making sure that money gets through the system and that it becomes commercially viable for Bolton Wanderers to have a female team. Um, but but in the in the meantime, the onus surely is on the cities and the, the Uniteds and where are Liverpool in this to have a really strong, to, 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 to financially commit to having a women's team where the lower league clubs currently can't, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's that's why United gave it up in 2015 because they basically said it wasn't making them money. Now that looks really short-sighted because if they're invested properly then, then the biggest players in the world would want to go there now. But apparently they've struggled to sign a few players because people don't want to be in terrible training facilities. People don't want to be in staying well, if it's, if, it's, if it's City and you get access to City's ground versus United with access to a portaloo. Yeah, or a porter cabin. Or, porter cabin, yeah. Or whatever, yeah. yeah. I don't think they changed it into portaloo. That's probably a stretch too far. Yeah, no, exactly. I think, I think <laughs> porter cabin is probably the word I was looking for. But yeah, yeah no, it's embarrassing, I think, um, for, for United that it, that it took them so long. Clearly, it's not going to be a massive money spinner at the moment because you're still building up the crowds, you're building up the sponsorships, you're building up everything. But it's surely a huge business opportunity if you really invest in it. Um, City seem to have invested. United, I think, are now doing so. Um, but they've got loads of catching up to do. It would just be cool to see what the attendances they get. Um, the, the Women's Super League season start, starts in September. You can go and watch games at both United and City and, and other clubs around um, around the place. It'd be exciting to see what happens with that because... 
I think I think men's football is in a bit of a difficult place. There's social media abuse. There was data out this week about how much abuse the players get and stuff like that. There's a lot of toxicity. I think social media might have made it worse. Um, I, I think I don't I don't exactly know why we've ended up in this place, but a huge amount of men's football supporting now online seems to be about slagging off other clubs. Oh, this player isn't this left back isn't as good as our one. Like taking the piss mm-hmm. out of them. The whole thing that happened with Phil Jones, who plays for United, you know, just constantly getting abuse. Like he 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 had been at the club long enough. To have a testimonial but he said he didn't he didn't think anyone would turn up to it because he get you know he gets so much so abuse much online it's no, so sad so sad, yeah. i kind of think men's football is it's got a lot of problems attached to it at the moment and i think women's football could come through and 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 take a lot of take a lot of fans off men's football and it should final word on that to gabby logan who signed off the bbc's coverage of the weekend beautifully with the think it's all over it's only just begun beautifully said Okay, elsewhere, Yoshi, this week, a couple of quick hits for you. Greater Manchester's efforts on climate change. We were discussing this a couple of weeks ago, weren't we? Around those absolutely scorching temperatures. And there's been an announcement this week about some help for families in their homes. Yeah, let's do a few quick hit headlines. 60,000 homes um, in Greater Manchester will be able to get insulation and sort of low carbon heating because of a financing package that Greater Manchester has put together, um, which is obviously great news. Trams and dogs, Yoshi, they've been banned for a long time. There's been a bit of a trial. How's that going? Yes, I think dogs are allowed back on trams in Greater Manchester for a trial period. And there are people people campaigning for this for ages. I'm personally not a, not a dog owner. Are you not a dog lover? Are you? Well, I'm, I'm a dog... I'm a dog liker. Dog liker. <laughs> Have you got a dog? Uh, I don't at the moment. No, my ex-girlfriend kept it okay. uh, when we broke up. But unless that event, they're better. Okay. Uh, no, I'm, I've got a couple of cats. But I do love, I would love nothing more than being on a tram and having a, a little doggo to stroke. But I can imagine that it's a bit of a contentious issue with people with allergies and fears and things like that trapped in an uh, enclosed environment with a dog. Is that part of the issue? Yeah, actually, I'm not actually, I'm not really sure what the issue is. It seems a bit bizarre that they're not allowed. But um, hopefully the trial will go well. Hopefully your ex will enjoy the um, <laughs> use of the tram. And bikes soon as well, by the way. That's the next big thing, isn't it? Is allowing people to have their bike on a tram. Mm. That stands to reason, doesn't it? You know, if you want people to take greener journeys, bike plus tram makes lots of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and a big sort of bit of thinking behind this whole B network idea is that you can, you know, walk and cycle to public transport. You take public transport to where you're going and then you can walk and cycle out into the countryside because we've got this amazing countryside all around us. And the idea is supposed to be that we don't need to drive our car into the countryside to go on a walk or to go and, you know, go around the peaks or to go to the moors or whatever. So, yeah, it would make a lot of sense um, that you could do that. OK, and more seriously, what's the latest with Ismail Abedi? Yoshi, the brother of the Manchester Arena attacker. Yeah, we talked about this a few months ago, I think. Ismail Abedi did not appear at the inquiry, even though he was asked to appear. He was advised that that would be a criminal offence to, to, to refuse to appear. He tried to um, say that he, he didn't want to incriminate himself. And he was advised that you could only do that on a question-by-question basis. You couldn't sort of say, in a blanket sense, I, uh, you know, I don't want to incriminate myself and I won't appear at all. So... An arrest warrant has been has been issued now, and he faces time in jail um, if, if if he gets caught. Okay, what else are you working on, Yoshi? What's going on in the Mill News Room this week? Well, Jack and I have been putting together this big homelessness story. It might actually be end up being two stories. Um, this is something we've been doing so much reporting on, and it's like oh, we've got so many, so many notes from FOIs, from council interviews. I think we've interviewed seven different charities. Jack and Alex went along to about eight different um, temporary accommodation places. So we've got it's just one of those ones where you've got way more material than you can use. Even the plan we came up together, you know, just like well, what's going to be in the article was three thousand words. So it's going to it's going to be a, a huge um, thing. But I'm going to try. And 
and get a draft done um, in the next couple of days so that so we can publish it not this weekend but next lovely good stuff um, okay let's have a look at what's happening around Greater Manchester then we'd like to give you some tips and some advice on things to do in and about the city what else have you got your eye on Yoshi well, I'm going to Sussex to see my mum, as I as I do once a once a month. My pilgrimage down south. Nice. Uh, Premier League um, season is starting this weekend, which is obviously a big excitement for those of us who follow football. Uh, I've got a couple of different recommendations. One is the British Art Show, which I've mentioned before, but this week we actually ran a really good piece about it by Phil Griffin on the Mail. It's a members-only piece, so please do join up seven pounds a month to read that and to get all our journalism. He wrote a nice piece about it, and he kind of put it in context and explained what what it's all about. That is going on at Manchester Art Gallery. Gallery, Whitworth, um, Home, and a few other places. Then there's People's History Museum uh, Book Club. Book Club specifically about sort of lefty book people getting together to talk about them. That's at one thirty at the People's History Museum, and Danny found that recommendation. I think it sounds quite fun. If, you, if, if you're of that persuasion... Yeah, nice. Why not? Um, okay, my shout for the weekend is uh, a food festival this Saturday at Cheatham Hill. The Food and Groove Festival is happening um, at the Irish World Heritage Centre. So loads of kind of like Irish themed and inspired food uh, in amongst that to eat. Just like eat, uh, eating things is my sort of like summer vibe. Uh, Yoshi, I'm going to be going to be 18 stone by the time that awesome comes around uh, with all these food festivals going on. Also, a nod from the BBC Rewind archives as well. I talked about this the other week, uh, which is sort of a massive archive of old BBC footage. Um, they've just released a, a stack more stuff, so there's a couple couple of hundred new videos. Uh, one of them from 1977 from BBC Look North that spent the day with the Manchester City chairman of the time, Peter Swales, who was also a, he owned a record shop as well, I think, in, in Manchester. So it followed him around for the day. So you get a bit of an insight into his life, but also how Manchester City was run in 1977. That sounds really good. It's very different to how it's run today. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> so you can find that on the BBC rewind archives if you google it that's it from us for this week don't forget loads of quality journalism things to do in and around greater manchester and deep dives into the stories that matter you can subscribe to get all that in your inbox from the mill manchestermill.co.uk don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast as well you'll get it in your feed every week and it helps other people in greater manchester find it too and we're back on sunday with another deep dive into a fascinating character from greater manchester so be here with us for that take care